Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. In this series, if you haven't gotten one of those cards, there's some on the back table back there that just kind of re... that, that, that put into a practical perspective the Lord's Prayer and how we are to pray and how we are to represent God. And this whole series is kind of around this idea of that we are friends of God. You know, Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. Now, obviously, we serve God. We want to obey God. We want to serve people. We're servants. But as far as the context of the relationship with God, it's family. It's friendship. Amen? You're not a slave. You're not just a subservient of his. Obviously, we want to serve him and people. However, we're friends. Amen? And we kind of, this phrase came out, I'm a friend of God, equipped by God to represent God. And so that's the, that's the mindset that I've, I've really been intentional to put myself in that mindset daily is how can I represent God today? First off, how can I represent God when I'm looking in the mirror? My self-talk. And when I think about my yesterday or my last night or the rest of the week or whatever, or my future, how can I represent God to myself in this mirror? And that's self-talk. Where are you going in your head with what you believe about yourself? It's easy to believe good things about other people. What about yourself? You know, we are our own worst critic. We disqualify ourselves like that when we would have all kind of trust that other people can follow God and things work out for them. But for us, no. We disqualify ourselves almost instantly sometimes. I love the testimony that Bethany and, um, or not really, te- I guess it was a testimony, but when Bethany and Carmen shared last week <clears throat> about um, the, the Gather Moms group, which is coming, Moms Ministry, let me get it right, Gather Moms Ministry, Um, But there was a moment in there where Bethany said, you know, she said she used to base her day on her emotional experience, how she felt of her performance as a mom that day, that if she'd had a good day with the kids or if she didn't yell at the kids, and yes, everybody yells at their kids, except for maybe, well, no, probably everybody yells at something. (laughs) But but there was just, the when she brought to this one, at least for me, she came to this one point, she said, I don't do that anymore because I know who I am. Yep. Blake. Blake's the only one, maybe, that doesn't yell at her kids. You might speed up your talking a little bit, maybe. <laughs> but you, it, to me, it just landed very heavy in a good way. I know who I am. She's not judging herself, her capacity to be a mom, how God sees her based on how she mommed that day but on who she is in Christ. You know, and that is, I'm telling you, that is just the heartbeat of this place. We are always going to reaffirm to you who you are in Christ, what he did for you, the effects and the results of the cross, the resurrection, who you are in him, and how that manifests out into you representing him. You know, we're always going to feed your roots. Always affirm that you are attached to the vine. You're a branch in the vine. Always circle around that to remind you of that because we forget. 
And you need to hear it. We need to be reminded. You know, you listen to your favorite song 27 times in a day when it comes out, you know. Be reminded once a week of who you are in Christ. It's all right. And then the fruit out of that reminding is you represent God. You know, so much of Christianity is ministry to the fruit. Well, you're not representing God very well. You're in sin. We need to rebuke you. You need to fix this. Rather than, okay, I see that sin. Yeah, we need to deal with it. But what's going on in the root that's producing that fruit? Let's deal with that. And what it, what's causing that issue is who you think you are, how you see yourself. What you think your relationship with God is like, who you think God is. I'm telling you, the more outward-focused a particular Christian group is, the more distanced they are in their context of their understanding of their relationship with God. It's just true. The further you are away from who, how, the, what you think your relationship is with God, the more you look at externals rather than the deeper root. So we're going to affirm always to you, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Absolutely. And you can't even hope to trans experience transformation in any area of your life unless you are confident of that, specifically confident of the work that he's done through Christ in you. Amen? So, because you, get, you have to know that when you get to these topics like this. You know, there's a couple of scriptures here I just want to review a little bit. John 15, 15. I no longer call you servants because a master doesn't confide in his servants. Now you are my friends since, if I, since I have told you everything the Father told me. I mean, every time I read that, I'm thinking, Jesus... You know, and this is, some people will say, well, this was to the original 12. Okay, well, what about the 13th guy that was hiding behind a corner or something and that John rebuked and told, don't go cast out devils and heal the sick because he's not with us. And Jesus said, let him go. If he's not against me, he's for me. What about that guy? That guy had the power that the same 12 got, not even mentioned by name, you know. You're the 13th man. They got it. <laughs> You're the 13th man. You're the 13th apostle, the body of Christ. Amen? 2 Corinthians 5.20. Because what we're looking at is that we're kings and priests, but what does that even mean? How do we actually even live in that today? It sounds real good, sounds mystical, it's interesting. We're kings and priests, makes you feel good. But what does that look like in real life? How do you function as a king and a priest under this new covenant in this day and age, right? So we're going to remind a little bit and keep going. 2 Corinthians 5.20, Now then we are ambassadors. Say ambassadors. ambassadors. For Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So like when you look at the world and you just have this feeling toward the world, is it a compulsion and a compassion to let people know that they can be reconciled to God? Or is it you look to the world and you have a disdain for the world? Oh, the world is so dark and sinful and dying. And you know, which one do you see when you look at the world? You know, is it passing through law or is it passing through love? Your filter of when you look at the world, do you look at it and it's like you hate it or you have compassion for it? Now, I'm not saying you embrace the immorality and the sin and all that stuff in the world. It's not that you approve of that stuff. 
It's just that you look at that and you see deeper than the sin and you realize, like Jesus did, he, it, call, it, it drove him to die for the entire world. And he saw the world for what it was. Amen? You know, it, so we have this compulsion through us. It's as if God is pleading through us to the world, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. That's what we do. So we're ambassadors. An ambassador is a diplomat sent, a representative sent. You know, because we think Christianity is we got to get it right. We have to understand, got to get everything in order. And, and you, you know, he gave us the Bible for a reason. Study, show yourself approved, know the word. Say, know the word. Not just know it, do it. Amen? Get your nose in it, learn it, read it, assimilate it, know it. Because you're hiding it in your heart is what you're really doing. When you're reading it, you're not necessarily reading it for understanding in your mind. You're getting it in your heart so that when God breathes on you and when God inspires you and when God needs to move you, he does it through the filter of his word that's hidden in your heart and then you will follow him in that area. You know, it's alive, it's living. It's not a precept that you apply robotically or legalistically. It's life that you have within you that he pulls out. You know, God, God wants you to put that word in there so that when he goes to pick fruit out, it's the fruit of the word that's in you. It's in the, in the living word, not just the Bible, but the concepts of who God is, God's logic, God's ways, that you're shaped into believing like he believes. Amen? So let's keep going here. Ephesians 2, verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. Has anybody ever said that about you? He's rich in mercy. I don't know. Made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now, this is a reference to that you were dead in your sin and now you are alive in Christ. So in a sense, when you believed on him, your spirit experienced the resurrection. Your, your spirit was, or the inner man was changed from death to life. You were cut off and then you became engrafted. You were born again. You were born from above. However that works, when you trusted God, you were engrafted into God and you now live because Christ is alive in you. You were dead before that. No hope to experience eternal life at all. You were dead in your sin, now you're alive in Christ. But it wasn't effectuated for you until you believed. But also, this has another meaning in that it's a positional or a statement of authority. You were raised with him, you know? It's like, it's like if I bring somebody up here and raise them up, not that the stage represents authority by any stretch of the imagination, but I bring them up here to share with the same type of influence, you know. That's what God did in Christ. God brought Christ back into himself, and Jesus took back. Because it says he laid down everything. Jesus prayed, I'm ready to take back that which I had before I came here. I'm, I'm done. My race is finished. I'm ready to take back the glory that I had before I came here. And then what he does is he gives it to you. I'm telling you, that makes devils and religious people 
angry. But you got to work for it. You got to, your fruit needs to prove that you actually deserve it. You don't get it. You still don't get it. You still don't get it, if that's how you think. You guys get it. But the world, and I'm not mad at religious people. We just want them to realize the, what righteousness even really is, you know? All right, let's keep going. Colossians 2, again, kind of rebuilding this framework of getting to a place where we remember that we're ambassadors, that we're kings and priests. And what does that look like today? Like, like you think of Solomon, right? There's a story that they brought. There's two women that were debating over whose child was their child. What did Solomon say? Isn't that weird? I mean, what if I, what if, what if I was King David or Solomon and you guys brought your child in here and two women were fighting, like, cut it in half and then give a half to each one? How weird would that be? Interesting, right? And, of course, we know the one who actually was the mother said, no, let her, just wanted it to live. I mean, that is what a king did. A king mandated the, the, the authority of God. A king was picked by God to act on God's behalf for the people. They, God didn't even want that, but they asked for that. Then you had the priesthood that was to represent God and facilitate uh, the sacrifices and ultimately connection with the people to God. So that, that's kind of the idea that we're looking at. How do we function in that role this day and age? All right, ready? Keep going. This is Colossians 2, verse 9. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. I'm telling you, Colossians, you know, it's meant so much to me at different stages in my Christianity, specifically because the focus is entirely on Jesus and then what that means for you being in him. It's just incredible. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Amen. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you are also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Essentially, what this is talking about is that your old man was cut away. The flesh of sin, because the word sarks, I'm, I know I'm throwing a lot at you, but the word sarks is the word flesh, and it has two applications. One is actually this skin but the other application is the old dead man, and that was cut away. NIV calls it sin nature, but that's really, that kind of confuses it. It's the old dead you was cut away. A circumcision happened and was cut away. The dead part of you was cut away, and then he put him, his own spirit within you. So in him you are also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, your whole self ruled by the flesh... See how this one says it. By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. That's what he cut out of you by the circumcision of Christ. I must be reading a different translation. but Let's keep going. Verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism. Now, this is not water baptism, but baptism into Christ. See, the, we as Southerners, as soon as we hear the word baptism, we immediately think water baptism. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about being baptized into the body of Christ. I'll just kind of let you think about that for a minute, you know. Huh? Yeah. 
So, who raised him from the dead, all right? Now, this is where we're going. Romans 14, 17 this is the last one we're going to read, and then I'll kind of talk about it a little bit. Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, the context here is Paul is addressing how they're treating each other, how they are stepping out from under the law and under grace, how to properly put all the covenants in proper perspective, stop judging each other. There's some practical application. There's some instruction of how to transition from Jews alone to Jews and Gentiles and the whole world. You know, there's a lot going on here that's being changed. And so essentially what he's saying here when he says, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, he said, he's saying what modern day we say, it's not about rules, it's a relationship. You know, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. It's kind of the same thing. So he's saying it's not about eating and drinking. It's not about keeping ordinances and precepts to be accepted by God. The kingdom of God, experiencing life in the kingdom of God, is not about right and wrong per se, although right and wrong matters. There is a right, there is a wrong, there is a truth. There's not this, you know, subjectivity. But he's saying it's not about the rules. If you want to know really what the kingdom about is about, it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Christianity is not about keeping the rules. However, you should trust God and obey. Amen? I'm not going to keep qualifying that. It's not about performing your way to God. It's about experiencing righteousness, peace, and joy. So, we are kings and priests in this kingdom, right? Let me kind of tie all this together. You can pull that down. We're kings and priests in this kingdom. That's in Revelation. And then in another place in Romans, it says, actually, I think we have those. Did I miss those? Pull up the one that says um, we're kings and priests in Revelation. Let's read that one. And they sang a new song, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, and you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on earth. Now, some people push this into a millennial reign where it's just some type of spiritual thing, but look at this one, the Romans one. It's going to be, yeah. So, for if, one, or if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness. Is that you? Amen. Have you received of the gift of righteousness? How did you receive it? By faith, there is now a righteousness that is revealed, which is by faith. Much more, say much more. Those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life, in life. So when it talks about kings and priests and you're, you're reigning and ruling, this here says in this life through one Jesus. So... Here's what we want to do. We want to demystify some of these kind of lofty ideas and bring it to, not bring it down, but bring it to a place of practicality. Because you are a king and a priest. Think of King David, King Solomon, all the kings that you read about. And then you think of the priests, the entire tribe of Israel, 
or I mean uh, Levi, right? We know that the high priest was the only one that could go into the direct holy of holies and bring in the blood of the sacrifice, the Day of Atonement sacrifice for the people of Israel. And then the other priests were out busy. I mean, there's a whole tribe of these people, you know? The whole tribe of Israelites walk, I mean, uh, Levites walking around with their breastplates and their everything, the garb and everything, and they're receiving the sacrifices, you know, they're bringing it to the high priest. They're doing all the stuff that they do. The priests are ultimately for one thing, like in Hebrews says, and that is to bring sacrifices to God to facilitate atonement for the people. That's really what that whole system was about. So what does it look like for us to be kings and priests? You're not receiving sac- We're not receiving sacrifices from people and taking them to God on behalf of the people. You've never brought me a dove that I pulled its innards out and burned its entrails and offered it to God. Right? You've never done that. Why? I mean, that, that's the answer, right? Jesus. I don't know, but Jesus. <laughs> he is the once and for all sin offering for the entire world. The priesthood is not receiving sacrifices and going to God for temporary atonement. Jesus is the eternal atonement for all who receive him and go to God through him. Amen? Forgiveness, always, once and for all. So, how, so, so for us, the way that we facilitate a priesthood and a kingship is to bring people into this experience of the kingdom. And the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Adam, this morning, the whole worship team up here, acted as priests bringing you peace. Modern-day kings and priests, what we do is we facilitate the environment. We facilitate the atmosphere of the kingdom. We facilitate a remembrance of the kingdom. We facilitate honor to the king. If there is no more sacrifice to bring to God, and there's one sacrifice, then what a priest does now is it points to that sacrifice. You want to represent God? Point people to Jesus. Specifically, righteousness, peace, and joy. Righteousness, in that, it's a gift. Righteousness, there's two main definitions of the word righteousness. In the Greek, it's... But, you know, in, it's the state of man as he ought to be. As he ought to be. Are you as you ought to be? You don't know how to answer that, do you? It's like, I don't know. Is that a trick question? I don't know. And the condition acceptable to God. Those are the two things. The condition acceptable to God. As you ought to be and acceptable to God. And you ought to be acceptable to God. How do you get acceptable to God? Because of what Jesus did. That's it. Does that mean we should continue in sin? No. Okay. So, you know. Paul was always challenged with that when he preached the gospel. It's just, it's just what happens. For 2,000 years, that question still ekes its way in. And we need to know how to address it so that people don't, so that, so that your confidence is not shaken in the finished work of Christ. So that you know the word of righteousness and you know how to apply it and minister it in situations for people. People need to know that they're, especially in a church like this where half of us have 
real issues, and we've come out of some pretty dark pasts. I mean, really, all of us. You need to be able to give people Jesus, point them to Jesus, and not just to placate people and say, well, God loves you, Jesus died for you, but to explain to them, here is acceptance with God. God made us. We messed it up. God didn't want us to be separated from him, and we couldn't perform our way back to him, so he came here, limited himself in every way, like we are, yet without sin, which qualified him as a human to be that perfect sacrifice of exchange for all of humankind that would receive that sacrifice. You need to be able to tell people that because people will challenge that based on behavior. And I'm telling you, I've seen too many people question their own salvation because some well-intended Christian looked at their behavior and said, I'm not so sure that you're saved because I don't think a saved person would do that. You ever been made to feel that way? You look at your own, well, maybe you do it to yourself. Gosh, maybe I'm not saved. Why, why do I keep doing that? Maybe I'm not saved. You may have never done that, but a lot of people do. There's whole denominations built around it. There's whole theological systems based around it. It makes me a little angry, honestly, to be, to be honest with it. But you as a king and a priest under this covenant, you have to be able to administer righteousness. A king, a priest is still doing the same thing, and that is facilitating atonement between God and the people. However, the atonement is in the hearts of people because Christ now dwells within in that spirit, and you remind them of that sacrifice. You remind people of their right standing with God if they've received Christ. And this is the message that we go into the world with. Be reconciled to God. There is now a righteousness that has been revealed, which is by faith, trust in what... And you need to become incredibly rock solid in the finished work of Christ as your confidence and as knowing and trusting the thing that once people embrace that, it will change them. It will, it will lead them down this path of transformation. Teach people they're righteous. Teach people about faith righteousness. Don't, don't draw back from the finished work of Christ. Amen? Righteousness, peace. So we, we are facilitators of righteousness, peace, and joy. You're not giving people righteousness. You're remind, just like the Holy Spirit. You're convicting people of their righteousness. You're better than that. That's not who you are. You know, people come in my office, and I'm like, look, you just forgot that you can have some hope in this situation. You're acting like a person that doesn't have Christ within them. This is who you are, and you fan that flame, and you remind them of who they are, and then you hope that they grasp it, and then let that guide them, right? Righteousness, peace. Peace is, you know, in the Hebrew is shalom. Peace is not just how you feel, right? I mean, it feels amazing after the worship, and, you know, we're worship stoned, and we're just <laughs> kind of, you don't want to move, right? I don't want to disrupt. It's not just that. Peace is there's nothing between us and God. There's, we're in wholeness. The context of the relationship is pure and complete and whole. And I'm, I'm, it's not broken. You know, Jesus has given us his peace. He has given us his wholeness with God. 
Jesus has brought us into this eternal covenant that is between the Son and the Father and placed you within it because you've said yes to him and he presents you holy and unblameable to the Father. You are at peace with God because God is at peace with you. I'm telling you, when you're walking people through struggles, you have to remind them of that. When you're walking yourself through struggles, you have to remind yourself of that. You have to be able to remove yourself out of whatever it is that you're experiencing in this moment and remember, I have peace with God. And let that bear fruit, not just informationally, but so that it actually changes your decision-making, right? I mean, don't, don't make any big decisions until you are in that place emotionally, mentally. You're there spiritually, but until you're there mentally and emotionally, you are actually feeling the truth of being in a place of wholeness with God, then make those decisions. I'm telling you if, you, if you just do that, it'll change your life. Most of our decisions are based on fear and lack. And then because of inactivity, we get forced into a corner and somebody else makes a decision for us and then we react and we say, well, it didn't work out, God. Well, no, you just skipped over that place of getting to a place where your heart could be led by him and he will lead you into truth. Peace. Peace guards our heart. This is what we do. We create peace. You're not creating peace. You're, you're facilitating people to experience the peace that God gave them. That's why we do church, you know. We want this place to be a bubble, a temporary bubble for you to come into. Everything goes away, and it's like you're just stepping into the throne room of God, and you're just remembering what he's done and who he is and who you are in him so that you're re Shift, you know, you're, you're, you repent, you change the way that you're thinking, and you go back out. That's what it's for. And then we get to be loved, we get to be encouragers for one another to, to, to remind you. Righteousness, peace, and joy. We're kings and priests. We are facilitating connection between people and the Father. And the way that you do it is you administer, you facilitate Remembrance of righteousness, peace, and joy. And joy is a pretty simple word. It just means glad or cheerful. I mean, you know, some days glad is about all you can muster. You know, it's like, well, I'm glad that I'm not this. You know what I mean? Boy, I'm glad that then, whatever, you know. And then some days you're like, woo, you know. You're cheerful. I don't have too many of those. I'm pretty steady, but, you know, sometimes. Just, there are sometimes you days you're just like, man, you're just, you're just really enjoying life, you know? <laughs> and then some days it's like, man, I'll tell you what, I'm glad that at least I'm not where, whatever your glad is, you know. So if you're not jumping off the rooftops and, you know, coming off the latest guest speaker and having a powerful worship service where you're just compelled to dance across the front floor, you know, not everybody's going to do that. That's fine. But are you glad? You know, do you just have a general favorable outlook on life? Or do you have a generally negative outlook on life? You know, let joy kind of tip the scale a little bit. And it's interesting that joy is third, righteousness, peace, and joy. Because when you remember what Jesus did, 
and you are at peace with God, you've got something to be glad about. I have people in my life that I'm, you know, it's a struggle because they choose the negative. And then, and then you say, well, why are you choosing the negative? And boy, it's like you just put your hand in a pit of vipers or something, you know. He's like, I mean, people want to be negative. And, and, and you know, this, this is why Christianity cannot be, at least the leadership of, and all of us are leaders of Christianity in a sense. You've all been equipped by God to represent God. But it's why we can't go to people with the law. The law reveals sin. That's what, it, that's what it was designed for. If you go to people about their sin with the law in the context of you're doing the wrong thing, all it does is stick a mirror in front of their face and remind them that they're in sin. Now, you might have to do that sometimes. I know people, people that I know very closely that were living pretty sinful, directly sinful lifestyles, and people that they loved come and said, hey, look, you're in sin. And then it was what they needed to hear in the moment. So there is that. It's biblically, contextually accurate to go to people and rebuke them if need be. But that's like a last resort, typically. And most people don't let their hearts go there that badly or that, you know, that far. It's, in, it's a matter of you going to them and bringing them into a remembrance of what God did. Now, there are some people that just aren't going to believe, and there's not a whole lot you can do about that. Pray for them, you love them, you show them God, you show them as much as you can a representation of how Jesus would treat them. But by and large, it starts in the mirror. It's with your spouse, it's with your friends, it's with your kids, it's with your coworkers. You representing God as an ambassador, as a king and a priest. Because what I'm trying to do is bring this to a place where we can live as God defines us in this life right now. And you hear this reigning in life thing. And you hear that we're kings and priests and we're raised with him and seated in heavenly places. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means is that you bring people into a relationship and an experience of what the kingdom really is. And it's not about what you eat and drink. It's not about the rules. It's about people experiencing righteousness, peace, and joy. You can do that. In fact, when you're going out, think about it. How can I help this person experience righteousness in that moment? And remembering that righteousness is the acceptable condition by God, not that they've performed. And, and you can't become acceptable by God by performance. You, know, this, you just remember all these little things. That's why it's important to know the word, to know the gospel, to know the tenets of the new covenant so that you can, remember, you can remind people. And you're not, and you're not giving them and okay to sin. You're reminding them God set you free from it. Your only hope of living free from that is to know that you're free from it. <laughs> Amen? Righteousness, peace, and joy. It just, it just feels, I just feel settled. You know? Do you? Righteousness, peace, and joy. You're a king and a priest. That facilitates people engaging with that lifestyle, righteousness, peace, and joy. One of the best ways to deal with where people are continually failing is to show them how much they're loved. So many people continue to choose death and sin over and over and over because they don't know their value. They don't have much value for themselves. People that are in overt, obvious, 
willful sin, they don't have much value for themselves. I thought I was done, but this needs to be said. <clears throat> don't, don't feel condemned. In this moment, don't feel condemned. And I'm going to look down here because I don't want to look at anybody. But, you know, we all choose willful. I'm going to preach this way for a minute. We all... <laughs> Because this is that moment where it's like, oh, well, here it comes. This is, this is what it, you know what I mean? Don't let that condemnation rise up. The reason you are continually choosing that is because you don't know your value. And you, you say it. You even admit it. You know it to yourself. Well, I just, I just don't care. It's, and it's not that you don't care as if a rebellion against God. It's that you've almost embraced that identity. Like, you've embraced the identity that you're worthless, that you don't have much value. You've embraced the feeling that you're just a sinner, and it's not true. Embrace grace. Embrace that peace that you have with God. I mean, what do you think Jesus was feeling when he was on that cross and he was looking at the people that he was dying for? You know, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And I'm telling you, his power. And this is what we get to do for people. You find somebody that's just the, the most hardened person is the one that feels the least valuable and feels the least loved and has the least capacity to love and be loved. And love is strong, man. Love is, love is not weak. Love is not weakness. Love is not passive. Love is not permissive. It's strong. Love is truth. You're bringing people into an engagement of truth in their hearts. We are kings and priests. God has sent us. You know, think of the Levites. God sent them into the nation of Israel. We, God has sent us into the world to go and to represent him, to bring people into this connection with him where that once they, they just begin to look toward God, even if it's just you just get them thinking about it in the moment, that then God's got something to work with. It's him that brings the fruit, amen? amen? You just bring people into that capacity of shifting their eyes toward him and trust that God is faithful amen. for them. Amen. And you might have to do it in the mirror first before you do it for other people because you need to experience it for yourself so that you trust that it can be done for other people. Amen? Man, we're kings and priests. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for reshifting the context of our relationship from servants to friends to children. And I thank you that you have placed your spirit within us that believe. And it is continually reminding us that we are your children. You are constantly affirming our identity to us. You are constantly affirming what you've done for us because of how valuable we are to you. And we just want to remove all the obstacles and let ourselves experience that because we know it will produce transformation unto your glory. And then we get to be that for other people. We get to go into the and just bring them into a place of peace. We just get to love on people a little bit, tell them a little bit about God's love for them, 
to bring them to a place of settledness, maybe just settle their emotions for just a moment and connect them with the Father in, even if it's just a brief way sometimes, so that they'll just shift a little bit, so that they'll just turn their heart ever so slightly to possibly have some relief and even some joy because of how you see all of mankind. You love us. You love people. You love all people, and you want all. It is your will that none should perish. We take that mandate, God. We take that calling. We take it seriously to just go into the world and represent your kingdom. It's not about us. It's not about what we know. It's about you. We just want people to know you because when they know you, when they open their hearts to you, they will experience all that you are and then you get all the glory. We're committed to that. You know, maybe you're here today or watching online. You don't know.